0: Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that we can gather together for fellowship and to hear your word preached. We pray, dear Lord, that the angels of God will be with us in this meeting place, that we will hear your truth that it will become a living reality to us, and that the Lord Jesus will be exalted in our midst. Please put your hand upon Brother Goss. Bless him. Bless the message. And bless us that our hearts will be receptive to it. And that we will go from this place... To proclaim your word, encourage and empower, knowing that we are at the very end of time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see you again. Glad you could be here, and uh, hopefully, you didn't eat too much. As we discussed yesterday, it's a little little hard to stay awake after you eat a large meal, isn't it? That's why I don't uh, I don't eat before I speak because I know my blood will leave my brain or head to my stomach. And I have a hard enough time preaching as it is, so I need all the help I can get. It's good good to be here with you again. You know, a fellow by the name of Martin Luther took some literature and he nailed it on the church door at Wittenberg in 1715. I mean 1517, excuse me. And those papers, what did they do? They exposed the error of the papacy. Ellen White writes that within weeks it went all through Germany, that message. Within just a few months it went all through Christendom. And you know what? He didn't tweet or Twitter anybody. (laughs) Did he? He didn't uh, put it on the radio or the television. It went word of mouth. I believe here at the end time that the printed page is going to go out and going to create a stir that's going to start a conversation. And I'm here to tell you what conversation starts in America goes around the world. We live in an old farmhouse in Virginia, 1868, brick home. Of course, you have those old homes, there's always a lot of work, isn't there? But we don't have cable television and all those kind of things, but we do have a little teeny television set about, oh, so big. And you know, there are times when I can turn that on and I can get Chinese news and Korean news, and German news, and French news, and Russian news. I can get news stations from around the world in that old house in Madison County, Virginia. And you know what I've discovered? What takes place in America makes the news that goes around the world. So sooner or later, I do believe, as we get these great controversies out like the leaves of autumn, sooner or later it's going to hit a nerve and it's going to start a conversation and the word is going to go very quickly. And um, we, we put 500,000 500, books in San Francisco, California. And it was on Channel 4 and Channel 5 of the news stations in San Francisco. And I must say the stories were pretty fair. In San Francisco. And of course you had one or two. Who says, well I got one. I didn't want this book. I don't know why they sent it to me. And I know where mine's going. Mine's going through the garbage can. But you know what happened? We got a lot of emails. And a lot of requests from people. Said I saw the news about the book. But I didn't get one. Can I get one? Yeah. Satan means it for evil. But God can mean it for good. Isn't he? Um, sometimes we, we get letters from people say can I get Bible readings for the home or can I get a great controversy I found your flyer your magazine in a garbage can one lady told us she says we're having a baptism here next week we're baptizing a couple and they were out walking and they found one of our magazines ripped in two laying on the ground they found the part that had the offer for the Bible readings for the home and they sent it off to us and we sent them the Bible readings for the home and they studied themselves into God's remnant church amen God's word will not come back void. Don't worry about whether people are going to throw them away or not. That's not our, that's not our worry. That's not our problem. That belongs to them and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? Uh, some complain because we put a million books into New York City. Start out at Rockefeller Center. In a three and a half mile radius. One million books, for those who are a little more practical-minded, that's nearly 17 tractor-trailer loads of books. And so someone who was on the, oh, like, Ad, not Adventist firm, Adventist Today or whatever it is, anyway, they're, they're emailing back and forth, oh, what a tragedy it was. There was books seen in the garbage can, and, you know, I feel bad about that. But there was a couple ladies in one of the apartment buildings there that said to the super, said, listen, we find any of these books that people don't want. We want them. We found out they were taking them to their Sunday keeping church on Sunday morning and giving them out to the families in the church. God's word doesn't come back void. And let's put it this way. Let's say that 1%, only 1% of the people that received those books it made a difference in their lives. Just 1%. When you put out a million books, you know what that is? That's 10,000 precious souls for the kingdom. You th- think it was a pretty good project? think it was worth it? Oh, yes. It was worth it. Jesus said, I'd leave the 99 to come get that one lost sheep. I'm so thankful that he loves us so much that he did that, right? You know, Pastor Phil was talking about praying for your children, um, mamas and daddies, don't stop praying for your children. I was out of the church for 34 years. Sit in a bar room many a time telling the guy next to me with a cigarette in one hand and a bottle of Budweiser in the other and telling the guy next door, man, you don't know what you're talking about, Saturday's the Sabbath. I never doubted the Advent truth. It's true. It is. If you're going to go by the Bible, there is no other church. So don't give up on See, because there wasn't, there was a time where I got to see the Jesus that my mother loved and served. Made all the difference in the world. My sister was out of the church. She was praying for her too. My mother died with my sister out of the church still drinking and smoking but a year or so after my mother died, on my mother's birthday, I had the privilege of baptizing her back into God's remnant church. Is God good or what? We want to do a little talk here this, this afternoon called Red Sky in the Morning. If you would please bow your heads with me as we seek the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, as we come before your presence again with thanksgiving and praise, Oh, Lord, I would not dare stand in a pulpit to share with your people from your word without inviting a double portion of thy Holy Spirit to guide my words, my thoughts, my actions. May they be pleasing in thy sight. We're here to uplift you, Lord. We're here to praise you. We're here to learn. We're here to understand where we are in earth's history and what we can do to be prepared. So again, we invite your angels to be here walking to and fro, rebuke the devourer, that we might receive the blessing we've come to receive, but not to keep it unto ourselves, but that we would share that blessing with others. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Red sky in the morning. You've heard that saying, haven't you? But I'm going to share with you, it's red sky in the morning with an exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. And yeah, that works. We can be there on the farm there in Virginia and in the morning you get that red sky, you got that certain look. What does that mean? That means inclement weather is coming. There's rain, there's a storm, there's snow, there's something coming. And so we want to take a look at that. We want to take a look at that today. In the book book Maranatha, page 15, it says, an understanding of the hope of Christ's second coming is the key that unlocks the history that follows and explains all the future lessons. The voice of the true watchman needs now to be heard all along the nine, the morning cometh and also the night. The second coming of the Son of Man is to be the wonderful theme kept before the people. Here is a subject that should not be left out of our discourses. Eternal realities must be kept before the mind's eye And the attractions of the world will appear as they are, altogether profitless as vanity. The truth that Christ is coming should be kept before every mind. I believe one of the reasons why we're so laid back and worried about our golf game and what Erica's doing on As the World Burns is because we don't keep focused on heavenly things and the nearness of the Lord's coming. I was at a church in Florida this past winter. And I like, I like to have my speaking engagements in Florida in the wintertime, especially as I'm getting older. It means a lot to us. Uh, but the, it was a, it was a division, division, conference division president, retired, who was teaching the Sabbath school. And he said to the class, he asked the question, it says, Jesus is coming soon. How soon is soon? I raised my hand and he said, yes, my brother, I said one heartbeat. True or false? True. For all intents and purposes, Jesus had come today for any of us here. We were in a meeting and, uh, Dick O'Phil was talking about talking to the youth. And I don't know if you remember a man by the name of Ralph Larson or not, but Elder Larson said to me, he said, Ron, he says, I'm supposed to talk to the youth. I'd like for you to talk with them." He said, they don't want to hear an old man like me. How about would you lead out? And I said, well, Elder, I've prepared something for the major camp meeting here, but nothing for the children. But if that's what the Lord wants me to do, that's what I'll do. And so I go into the room, and there's about 50 teenagers in the room. And I'm up there talking. There's two girls all the way in the back of the room, standing up against the wall, giggling, and just having a wonderful time. And I said, excuse me, girls, I'm not here to waste your time, but I'm certainly not here to waste mine either. I said, we're living in serious times. We don't even know if we're ever going to make it from these meetings. We don't know if we're going to make it home or not. We live in a very dangerous, perilous world. Little did I know the two children that were sitting next to my wife, a young boy and a young girl, little did I know, they were killed on their way home from that meeting by the way one of the girls that was back there thought it was so funny in the meetings back there after that tragedy happened she decided that she needed to become a Bible worker so she went to school and studied Bible work and went out starting giving Bible studies and trying to lead people to Jesus tragedy it was the Grossball family you remember them Marshall his wife and his two children. Have your Bibles with you. I pray that you do. Open them, if you would, please, to Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And let's look at verse, starting with verse 1 through 3. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came attempting, desired Jesus that he should show them a sign from heaven. Now, who's gathering together here and and teaming up? The, The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Could they agree on anything? Just one. What was that? Get rid of Christ. Christ had to go. He had to do. And Jesus answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye shall say, It is fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it shall be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering or gloomy. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern what? The signs of the times. Now the leadership of the church was asking Jesus for signs. And if you go back to the chapter 15 and go to verse 22, and it says, And behold, a woman of the Canaanite came out of... the out some the coast and cried unto Jesus saying have mercy on me O Lord thou son of David my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil and it goes on to say in verse 28 and Jesus answered and said unto her O woman great is thy faith be it unto thee even as thou wilt and her daughter was made whole from the very hour isn't God great Isn't he glorious? Isn't he compassionate and merciful to save a wretch like me? And if anyone asks out, and I'll stop here for just a minute and look at this, if anyone pleads with God to be delivered, delivered from the devil, Jesus will do it. I don't care what kind of life you've lived. I don't care if you're down down the streets and you're a woman of ill repute and shooting heroin in your arms. God can give the victory and cleanse and make you whole. Amen? Wow, what a Savior. We go to verse 29. And Jesus departed thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went into the mountain and sat down there. And a great multitude came unto Him, having with them those that were lame and blind and maimed and many others, and came and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And He healed them, and you might add the word All. People who had never seen before in their lives, people who had never heard before in their lives, people who had never walked before in their lives, walked away, ran away, rejoicing and praising the God of heaven, seeing for the first time, seeing the face of Jesus, first thing they ever laid their eyes on. All these things were happening, and Jesus, after that, took a few fishes and a few loaves. And he fed 4,000 men, not counting women and children, and yet the leadership of the church had nerve to ask him, show us a sign. And we look back at that and we say, how ridiculous is that? But it's even more ridiculous for us, my brothers and sisters, because most of the church today is basically doing the same thing. Oh, yes, we hear the second coming. And when I see the Sunday law come, then. And I used to feel that way when I was in academy, Shenandoah Valley Academy there in Virginia. I used to think to myself when we hear these things about the Sunday law and this coming, and I would think to myself, you know, when I hear about a Sunday law coming, I'm going to quit sneaking these cigarettes. When I see a Sunday law coming, when I get home and I'm on break, I'm not going to be hanging around with the guys drinking, drinking alcohol and running out to the movies and the parties and all the rest of it when I see a Sunday law. But you know what, folks? When the Sunday law comes for all intents and purposes, it's over for Adventists. All you've got to do is go to Matthew chapter 25, the story of the ten virgins. Verse 6 says, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And it says, and the wise and the foolish woke up out of their slumber. The problem with the foolish, they didn't have representing the Holy Spirit. They did not allow the early rain to do the changing that needed to take place in their lives. And many of us today are waiting for some miraculous thing to happen here at the end of time to change our ways and our habits. And it doesn't work that way because of the early rain and is not allowed to do its work in our lives. We'll never receive the latter rain. That's right. Repent. Turn around. Get it right. So we need to look at these things and realize that the signs are are here. We're going to go through some of them today. But this is volume nine of the testimonies for the church. Remember yesterday I told you it's not testimonies against the church. It's testimonies for the church. Dust them off. Read them. And if you don't have any, get some. Because these are to help guide us through these difficult times so that we can be prepared to meet Jesus in peace when he comes. This is page 11. We are living in the time of the end. When did the time of the end start? 1798. You can look at it in Great Controversy, page 356. You can also read it in the books of the what dealing with uh Daniel revelation and other areas started in 1798 we are living in the time of the end well what what's the difference between the time of the end and the end time i remember uh, cd brooks you ever heard of cd brooks uh, black preacher. I used to listen to him all the time when I first came into the church. I used to listen to his tapes over and over again, watch his materials, listen to him. I'd be riding around patrol car and I'd be listening to C. D. Brooks. He said that he, you know, he came from a poor family, and I think he was out of Alabama. And he said just before Thanksgiving, his daddy would go out and buy a live turkey. And he'd bring that live turkey home and he'd put him in a cage and he would water him and feed him lavishly. He was living in the time of the end. But then the day before Thanksgiving, his daddy would go out to that cage and he would grab that turkey by the neck and he'd have an axe in the other hand. It was the end time. I believe that the axe is about to fall. Everything's in place except for one. You know what that is? God's people aren't prepared. If we were prepared, we would be proclaiming this message from the mountaintops. Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment is come. How many people realize that the judgment's going on? Most people don't have a clue. Babylon has fallen, has fallen, come out of her, my people. Third angel's message, anyone receives the mark of the beast in, not on, in their forehead or in their hand shall receive the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. First time in mankind's history The wrath of God is going to be poured out without mercy. First time. Doesn't the world deserve to know? Don't we have the responsibility of telling them? The fast fulfilling signs of the times declare that the coming of Christ is near at hand. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Can you see it? The days in which we live are important. The Holy Spirit's being withdrawn, plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are pretentious. They forecast at approaching events of the greatest magnitude. As a matter of fact, it says when the Sunday law comes and something's going to come in to help bring this in, it says there's going to be a stupendous crisis. Stupendous is a big word, folks. It a, has a lot of meaning. It's going to come as an overwhelming surprise. It's going to come as unexpectedly. Jesus says he's going to come as a thief in the night. That's why I don't believe we have time to worry about the football scores. I was preaching. I have a brother here I met earlier from West Virginia. I was preaching at the West Virginia Canton meeting in Mountain View and I met with all the pastors on Friday and shared with them. And one of them raised their hand and he said to me, he said, uh, Brother Goss, you said something about football in one of your talks. Yes, I did, Pastor. Well, I know where he's going with this. So I asked him the question, who invented football? Did God invent football or did Jesus invent football? Did God invent competition or was it Lucifer that invented competition? I said, by the way, I want to cut to the chase. You might want to read the spirit of prophecy. Ellen White says, Satan invented football. Oh, wow. Hmm. Well, that hurts, doesn't it? We don't have time for those things. The conditions of things in the world show us that troublous times are right upon us. The daily papers are full of the indications of the terrible conflict in the near future. Bold robberies are a frequent occurrence. Strikes are common. Thefts, murders are committed on every hand. Men possessed of demons are taking the lives of men and women, little children. Men have become infatuated in vice and every species of evil prevails. Are we living in a world like that today? You know, some of the people I used to have to lock up and some of the crimes they used to do, and I'm thinking, how in the world did they come up with that? How could they possibly think of doing something like this? But it's a whole lot worse now. Whole lot worse, and getting worse by the moment. Well, it goes on to say, in verse thir- or page thirteen, volume nine of the Testimonies, the scriptures describe the condition of the world just before Christ's second coming. So we don't have to guess about it, do we? We can go to the scriptures and find out exactly what Jesus said it would be like just before the second coming. Go with me just a few pages over and go to Matthew chapter 24, please. Matthew chapter 24 verse 3. And as he, Jesus said upon a mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, "Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the not age. End of the world. See a lot of these new Bible translations say the end of the age. What are they talking about? The dinosaur age, the ice age, what age? No. The King James brings it out very clearly. They're asking about what would it be like at the end of the world? And we're going to talk about it some tomorrow because I believe that Satan has duped us over these Bibles. What is it going to be like? Jesus answered and said unto them, Oh, there's going to be earthquakes, and there's going to be wars. There's going to be... Is that the first thing Jesus said? No. The first thing Jesus says in verse 4, and He says, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5 For many shall come in my name saying I am in Christ and shall deceive many. And it must be pretty important because verse 11 says for many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And it's very, very important because in verse 24 it says and there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive even the very elect. Who's the very elect? Us? Who? Ellen White makes it very clear who the elect are. The elect are those who believe that God can and will save them from sin, not in sin. That's the elect. And yet Jesus said that the deceptions will be so great here at the end of time that if possible, it would deceive even the very elect of God. So what happens to the nominal Adventist? Don't stand a chance. Don't stand a chance. Now, as the world deceived, you have, a, you have a, a, a religion of over a billion people that believe, and not all of them, but many, 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 many of them believe that it's okay to put a bomb on one's person, walk onto a bus with school children on it, and blow them all up. Is that deception? Oh, yeah, I'd say. And then you got other groups that believe that uh, that you light your candles and you bring food over to where the spirits might be, so they can get something to eat. You know the Confucianism and all these different things, and Buddhism and Hinduism. And are they deceived? Oh yeah. And then you got another billion people who believe that, no, no, if you want to go to Christ and get your sins, you want to be forgiven, Everything you go to a priest, but you really need to be praying to the Virgin Mary because she can help intercede for you. Is that deception? The Bible says, 1 Timothy 2.5, there's only one name that's going to be our intercessor, and His name is Jesus. What about in God's remnant? Every wind of doctrine is blowing right now. I got people coming to me with all kinds of different things and want me to read this or what about this or what about that. And I said, the main thing is, is if your heart stopped today, are you ready? Would you be saved today? That's the real issue. And what are you doing to save someone else's soul? Lots of winds of doctrine. But Jesus went on to say in verse 6, and it says, And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes, in diverse places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. And I'm here to share with you, we've been in the beginnings of sorrows for a long time. And we got this country that's getting atomic weapons, and that country is getting atomic weapons, and this, co- this ISIS group now is, is uh, planning on, on buying nuclear weapons from uh, Pakistan or uh, North Korea. Or You think they'll use them? Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, they believe that the uh, uh, best thing can happen to them is to be martyred on the battlefield, isn't it? Go to heaven, got 72 virgins waiting for you. Would that be a little deceptive, you think? These are some of the things that are going on. Go to Luke with me, Luke chapter 17, if you would. Luke chapter 17, and let's look and see what else Jesus said about what it would be like just before he comes. Luke chapter 17, and look at verse 26. And Jesus said, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all, as it was in the days of Noah. What was it like in the days of Noah? Since none of us were there, let's take a look, go back to Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 6, real quick. Genesis chapter 6, and look at verse 5. Genesis, to hold your finger there in Luke, please. Genesis chapter six, verse five, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. we living in a world like that. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Yeah, I was born in Fort Meade, Maryland. My daddy was 25 years Army. Fought uh, during the Second War and the Korean War, and the Nazis couldn't kill him, and the, North and the North Koreans and the Chinese couldn't kill him, but a cigarette did. Died of lung cancer. He's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. But you look at these, how Corrupt and the wars that were taking place when my daddy was fighting in those wars compared to the weaponry that we have today. That we have the ability to completely annihilate this planet. And yet mad, mad people are getting access to the weapons to be able to do that very thing. But we know that's not going to happen. God's not going to allow this earth to be destroyed. Now that doesn't mean there might not be some nuclear Explosions before it's over with, but it's not going to be entitling there because he's going to destroy it himself, isn't he? So it says that as it was in the days of Noah, crime and violence. You got these wars, all these different places. You know, in the month of May, we had 300 wounded and 25 killed. Not in Afghanistan. Not in Iraq, but Chicago, Illinois. Did you hear what I said? 300 shot and wounded and 25 killed in the month of May in Chicago, Illinois. In Washington, D.C. last year, you had 37 witnesses that were murdered in the nation's capital of Washington, D.C., the defense attorneys evidently found out the names and addresses of those who were, or were testifying against the criminals and somehow the criminals got a hold of the names and addresses and found out where they lived and who they were and they were murdered on the streets of the nation's capital as it was in the days of Noah. The earth was filled with violence. Up in Baltimore City right now, The people are inside their homes with the bars on the windows and the doors and the alarm systems and three or four dead boat locks. They're all locked inside their houses and the criminals are watching the streets. You have to ask who's incarcerated. Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 17, verse 28, Likewise also that it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the days... of a day when the Son of Man is revealed. What was it like in the days of Sodom? We don't have time to go to all these places, but all you gotta do is go to Genesis chapter 19 and you can read in there is that the young men and the old men surrounded Lot's home and said, send those men out to us that so we may know them. What did that mean they wanted to sexually abuse sexually abuse, the men wanted to sexually abuse the other men. Big story today, Uh, here the last few days or something, uh, Bruce Jenner now calling himself Caitlyn. You hear about that? Folks, there's something sickening about our society. Does God love Bruce Jenner? Oh, yes. Did he die for Bruce Jenner? Oh, yes. Does he want to save Bruce Jenner? Oh, yes. But he can't save him in sin. He's got to save him from sin. Just like he does any one of us. See, I told what some lady told me and she was trying to it was an Adventist lady and basically she's trying to defend her son who had the homosexual tendencies and I said, ma'am, the same God that gives me the grace and power to be faithful to my wife and not run around with someone else's wife is the same grace, the same God that can help your son for not trying to steal her husband. Isn't that right? These are signs. These are signs of the times Jesus said would be. Go with me over a couple of pages. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. And by the way, it won't be long for what I just said will be illegal. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth, Distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Jesus said men's hearts would be failing them for fear of what's coming upon the earth. And if you look in the Greek of what Jesus is talking about here, it says the seas will be leaving their boundaries and causing perplexities among the nations. Have we seen a little bit of that happening? Anyone remember the uh, Sumatra tsunami? You know, it's interesting if you read the articles about about that. The water buffalo in, in Thailand and in Indonesia and the elephants and some of those things broke away from where they were being penned and held and broke away and they all went to the high ground. The intelligent people laid on the beaches and drowned. Two hundred, nearly two hundred and fifty thousand people died as a result of those tsunamis. 250,000. Does that remind you of a story in the Old Testament? The animals went in two by two and seven by sevens. And the people stood outside and mocked Noah and called him a fanatic and a legalist and a madman. And all he was trying to do was to help save them. Go to 2 Timothy real quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know these things, but we need to go through them. We need to be reminded of where we are in time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Paul says, writing on the pen of inspiration, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. What does perilous mean? Dangerous times. Dangerous times. Whether you're in a high school in Colorado or you're in a a little kindergarten school in Connecticut or you're in a movie house in Colorado or you're in France trying to get one of their... get in a deli or something, and you get shot down and killed, it's getting so bad that even New York City police officers sitting in their cars, armed, someone comes up behind them and shoots them in the head and kills them. We're living in perilous times. Rather you're on a a boat in China where they're still looking for the rest of the 435 bodies, or you're on an aircraft flown by a German pilot who decides to take everybody out with him. We're living in perilous times. Paul goes on to say, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, proud blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, no self-control, false are fierce, despisers those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Who is Paul talking about? He's talking about what the Christian church is going to look like. He's not talking about the world here. He's talking about what the church, so-called, would look like Just before Jesus comes. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, Will there be any faith found on earth when I come? Oh, how many times I've locked people up with the cross around their neck. You know, people smiling, hey, Jesus loves you. And they just ripped off some little old lady down the street. I remember Joe Cruz, who was a dear friend of mine. He was doing meetings in Baltimore, Maryland. The pastor, the pastor was there, uh, and he had to close up. I don't know where the deacons were. They weren't doing their jobs, evidently. But he had to lock the church up, shut the lights out, lock the church up before he left. Everyone had left. The pastor's coming out. It's dark. He gets into his car. Two men approach him, stick a gun in his back, accost him, tie him up, put tape over his mouth, put him in the trunk of his own car, take his keys, and they drive around Baltimore, as they say in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland, as they're riding around Baltimore, Maryland, trying to figure out what they're going to do with this pastor. Finally, they decide to let him out, out of the trunk, and they're going to let him go. And so this was a good pastor, Gene, good pastor, because the pastor said to these criminals, I would like to pray for you before I leave. And so he had prayer for the two men that just robbed him. And one of them said to the pastor, put his arm around the pastor's shoulder, and he said, Pastor, we're so glad you prayed for us, for you see, we are Christians too. Isn't that the way it's becoming, basically? Do you know, Pew just took research and did a study on it, that most young people, what do they call them, the the youngest ones now? It's the Gen Xers or the Millennials or whatever they call them today. Do you know that most of them don't want anything to do with church Because they see nothing but hypocrisy. They don't want to come to our churches. And and somehow the Adventists have got in their mind is if we water everything down and we make them feel comfortable and we play their music and we have their little clown shows, we're going to draw people into the church. Folks, that's not what people are looking for. Let Hollywood take care of that. It didn't keep me in the church, I'll tell you that. What we need to see in the church and among God's people is we need to see Jesus reflected in a real heartfelt love for souls and is willing to do something about it and just talking about it all the time. We also have another sign of what's going to take place dealing with our liberties. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 and look in verses 1 through 3. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast, which I, which I saw, was likened to a leopard; and his feet was the feet of a bear, and the mouth was the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. All the world wondered after the beast. I have a few articles here I want to share with you. By the way, uh, Frank and Franklin Graham, uh, dealing with our nation, put an article out here in March of this year. He said, today we are losing mor- mor- morally our nation and the foundations of this country are collapsing and falling apart. We better stand up, we better speak up, and we, st- we start getting Christians to run for office and voting for those Christians that run. What's, what's Franklin Gams? What's his answer? Politics. And aren't we told, and, and Adrian Rogers put a little book out, Will God Impeach America? And you know what he says, the reason why we're having so many tragedies and so many heartaches and the crime and the violence and, and the floods and the fires and the tidal waves and all that, the reason why is because we're not going to church on Sunday. Isn't that what we're told is going to happen here at the end? Franklin Graham, America's culture of death. Listen, I don't think there's any doubt that this is the culture of death in our country. He says, for example, football used to be a dominant choice on television on Sunday evenings in the fall and the winter. But today, for example, 17 million people skip the football game to watch the season premiere of The Walking Dead. about zombies, of all things. Well, yesterday I mentioned something, if you looked up Scarlet Woman, so I decided to bring a couple things because this Revelation 13 is talking about this subject and dealing with Revelation chapter 17, Scarlet Woman. And so when you look it up in the Webster's New New World Dictionary, uh, the 1957 edition, Scarlet Woman, it says the Roman Catholic Church uh, term based on the references of Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. If you look at Funken Wagnall's New College Standard Dictionary in 1950, it says, The woman of Revelation chapter 17, an abusive epitaph, first applied to pagan Rome, laterally applied to the Roman Catholic Church. See, we used to know who this was in America. Matter of fact, the last time I saw that, Uh, The latest one was in the year 2000 in Carta Dictionary, but you will not find it any longer. It's no longer there. Thehill.com, December 24th, 2014. That's Christmas Eve, isn't it? What better time than Christians to turn their thoughts to? Who do you turn your thoughts to on Christmas Eve? Thehill.com, what better time than Christians to turn their thoughts to Pope Francis, a voice of our generation and all generations, and the whole world. Francis is the people's pope. He is the most popular public figure in the world. What's the Bible say? Sign of the times of the last days, the whole world will wander after the beast. There is, a, there is a Ready for Hillary movement, a Ready for Elizabeth Warren movement, a more profoundly, a Ready for the Pope Francis movement that is America and global. He's gotten so popular. Anybody ever heard of Elton John? What's he known for? Size music. Lifestyle, right? Quote, he's a compassionate, loving Man who wants everybody to be included in the love of God, Sir Elton John said of the Pope, he is courageous and he is fearless and that's what we need in the world today. Make him a saint already. The whole world. BrettBart.com, January 11, 2015. Pope Francis baptized 33 children Sunday morning, the day that Christians celebrate the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. In his homily, the Pope told parents to teach their children that you cannot be a Christian outside the church. You cannot follow Jesus uh, without the church because the church is the mother and makes us grow in the love of Jesus Christ, he says. Referring to the famous statement of the saints... Sapirian of the third century, the bishop of Carthage. No one can have God as Father who does not have the Church as Mother. What Church you spoke? He's talking about the Adventist Church. Doesn't that come right out of Revelation chapter seventeen? The Mother, the Mother of all churches. There's a limit. This article, this next article goes on to say there is a limit to free expression. Pope Francis said Thursday that there are limits to freedom of expression especially when it insults or ridicules someone else's faith. Would it be an insult to be a Protestant today and say that the leader of the Roman Church as the man of sin? Would it be an insult if uh, we to be a Martin Luther and say if there's a hell Rome's built right over top of it? Would, would it be an insult to say that the Bible says that this organization is led by the devil himself? Isn't that what the Bible says? Yeah. He gets his seat and his power and his authority through the dragon. Would that be an insult? How long before you think it will be illegal before you can get the great controversy out? Have you heard any talk about hate speech recently? They call them provocators. Let me, let me go through, just, we don't have too much time, but let, it, let me go through some of the, uh, there's some articles, uh, a number of articles here. Free speech, this is NewYorkTimes.com, free speech versus hate speech. Another article, CNN's Como uh, Ignites First Amendment War over free speech or hate speech. Me, uh, media look to criminalize, the media look to criminalize hate speech. Um, Are Christians Guilty of Hate Speech? Listen to this one. Proclaiming that a certain belief is wrong or that a certain activity is sinful based on biblical principles is increasingly being included in the definition of hate speech. Read that again. Proclaiming that a certain belief is wrong saying that Sunday is the Lord's day and you're wrong, to say that no, granny's not in heaven looking down on you, granny's in the grave asleep waiting for the resurrection, to proclaim that certain belief is wrong or that a certain activity is sinful based on biblical principles is increasingly being included in the definition of hate speech. And it goes on and on and on. Thehill.com, the year of the Pope. The Catholic News Service in a story dateline from the Vatican. In that story, the Cardinal, the Vatican Secretary of State said that when Francis visits Philadelphia this coming September, he will probably also visit New York and the District of Columbia. Now, this was happening in January. We know what he's going to do in Philadelphia. He's going to be in Philadelphia for the World Family Day. You know what they promote? Day of rest for the family. Sounds good, doesn't it? Don't we need a day of rest for the family? Sure, God gave us one called the Seventh-day Sabbath. But their understanding of it, it's not Saturday or Monday or Tuesday or... It's Sunday. So this group is going to be there and and they're there to promote the day of rest for um, the Sunday movement. That's why uh, Project Restore is going to be bulk mailing to every home, over 650,000 homes in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania before that event. We're going to be Balk mailing the great controversy to every home just before his arrival. Now, are we looking for a fight? Nope. I've gotten, I've gotten to the point at my older age, I'd rather, I'd rather flight than fight. Used to, I'd rather fight anytime than flee. We're not looking for a flight, uh, fight, folks. We're trying to help save a dying world. What do you say? In Volume 6 of the Testimonies, page 18, it says, As America, the land of religious liberty, shall unite with the papacy, enforcing the conscience and compelling men to honor the false Sabbath, the people of every country of the, on the globe will, be, will follow the American example. Every country in the globe will follow America's example when it deals with the Sunday legislation doesn't leave any, it means Muslims too, doesn't it? Something's going to take place on our planet, folks, that they're going to realize as the Pharisees and the Sadducees got together to get rid of Jesus, he must go that we might live. The time is coming. Is the only way we're going to survive what's taking place on our planet is that group of people who are contradicting God's holy word to keep Sunday sacred. They've got to go. Pope condemns deviant forms of religion. Pope Francis criticized religious fundamentalism in a speech today. You have any idea what that means? Pope Francis condemns Christian fundamentalism. Are you a fundamentalist Christian? I pray you are. You believe in creation, the literal seven days of creation, six days, and the seventh day rest of creation week. You believe that? That's a fundamentalism. Do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and you follow the Bible? That's a Christian fundamentalist. They're condemning that. Webster's Dictionary. Orthodox religious beliefs based on the literal interpretation of the Bible complete acceptance of the story of creation as given in Genesis and the rejection of the theory of evolution are regarded as fundamentalist Christians. And it's being condemned. Why do you need to, why do you need to condemn fundamentalist Christians? Why do you got to do away with Creation Week? Because it does away with the Sabbath. Isn't that right? Taking back Sunday. This is a Gazette Virginian. Across the nation on Sunday mornings, most people are home. Most are are in the country. Are not in church or on Sunday mornings. How did it get that way? What is the cost of life, family, and society? What what more than we should be doing? Can you imagine these? could be the most important words have ever read. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What day are they talking about? Sunday. These are in the papers. Pope Francis, we need keep Sunday to be happy. Quote, this is actually one of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath, Exodus 20, verse 8. Once a week, give a whole day to meditation, worship, family life, tending the needs of the Spirit, he goes on to say. Here we have evangelicals unable to resist the papal power. They're all at the Vatican. Here is Kenneth Copeland praying for the Pope. Here you have uh, James uh, Robinson giving a high five with the Pope. Pray for James Robinson. I've personally given him the Illustrated Great Controversy. Pray that he'll read it and come to his senses before it's eternally too late. Let me share another thing or two here because we need to close. This was taken out of the Detroit newspaper. And this was back in July 7th of 1998. Pope's call for worship welcomed. In obedience to the third commandment, Sunday must be sanctified above all by participating in the Holy Mass. Now what does it mean to participate in the Holy Mass in the Roman church? That means that you accept that wafer as the actual flesh of Jesus. And you drink that wine, that that's the actual blood of Jesus. Of Christ You know, millions of people gave their lives over that issue. that refused to accept that. In obedience to the third commandment, Sunday must be sanctified above all by participation of Holy Mass. In his letter, the Pope goes on to say, a violator should be punished as a heretic." No response. Detroit, Michigan, United States of America has in the newspaper on the front page, the Pope says, if you don't go to church on Sunday and be in the mass, you should be treated as a heretic. What did they used to do to heretics? Did you hear anything said? From our church? Anybody remember any of this? You think the Supreme Court is going to protect us? There's not one Protestant on the Supreme Court, folks. Out of nine justices, not one Protestant on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Did you know that your Congress and my Congress in the House voted 416 to 1 to give the Vatican a stronger voice in the United Nations? And there were three Seventh-day Adventists in Congress when that vote was taken. And I went to Congress, and I was meeting with different congressmen up there, and uh, I went to this one Adventist congressman, and I said, Congressman, 416 to 1, you weren't one of them. Hey, Jim, do you remember, uh, remember that vote? Uh, no, sir, I don't recall that. Maybe they had attached to something else. Oh, we'll look into it, we'll get back with you. I've never heard anything from them. Well, what good are you in Congress if you don't even know what you're voting for? or not voting for. Friends, I'm here to tell you, Satan has been painting us in a corner for quite some time, and it will not be long. We will not have any maneuvering room whatsoever. None. Let me read a few final statements here before we close. Maranatha, page 23. The perils of the last days are upon us, And in our work we are to warn the people of the danger they are in. Let not the solemn scenes which prophecy has revealed be left untouched. If our people were half awake, if they realized the nearness of the events portrayed in the book of Revelation, a reformation would be wrought in our churches. And many more would believe the message. We have no time to lose. Page 25, Maranatha, the judgments of God are in the land. The wars, the rumors of wars, the destruction by fire and flood say clearly that the time of trouble, which is to increase until the end, is very near at hand. We have no time to lose. <clears throat> Excuse me. The world is stirred with the spirit of war. The prophecies of the 11th of Daniel have almost reached their fulfillment. The prophecies of the 11th chapter of Daniel have almost reached their fulfillment. What does chapter 12, verse 1 say? And at that time, Michael stands up. What does that represent? Close the probation. Let he that be filthy be filthy still. Let him be holy be holy still. Page 119, early writings. Why do I preach these kind of messages? I saw that the remnant were not prepared for what is coming upon the earth. Stupidity like lethargy seemed to hang upon the minds of most of those who profess to believe that we are having the last message. My accompanying angel cried out with awful solemnity, Get ready, get ready, get ready. For the fierce anger of the Lord is soon to come. His wrath is to be poured out unmixed with mercy and ye are not ready. Rend the heart and not the garment. A great work must be Be done for the remnant. That's us. A great work must be done for the remnant. I'm here to plead with you today here in Ohio. Put away those darling sins, folks, and I say this to myself too. It's time that we get right with God. And stay that way turn off those stinking television sets get some calluses on your knees from being in prayer break out those books you haven't read for some time and I'm including the great controversy if you haven't read it recently you need to read it again today because it's happening right now right now because I look forward to the time and that time is not too far away I don't believe that it's too far away, as it says in page 606 of the Great Controversy, 606 of the Great Controversy, the laborers will be qualified rather by the unction of his spirit than by the training of the literary institutions. Men of faith and prayer will be constrained to go forth with holy zeal, declaring the words which God gives them. The sins of Babylon will be laid open. The fearful results of the enforcing observance of the church by the civil authorities, the inroads of spiritualism, the stealthy but rapid progress of the papal power will all be unmasked. By these solemn warnings, the people will be stirred. Thousands upon thousands will listen who have never heard words like these. In amazement they hear the testimony that Babylon is the church fallen because of her errors and sin, because of her rejection of the truth sent to her from heaven. As the people go to their former Uh, teachers, and eager inquiry, are these things so? The ministers present fables and prophesy smooth things. But since many refuse to be satisfied with the mere authority of men and demand a plain, thus saith the Lord, the popular ministry like the Pharisees of old, filled with anger and their authority is questioned, will denounce the message as of Satan and stir the sin-loving multitudes to revile and persecute those who proclaim it. You want to be one of those people proclaiming the last message? You can do it. You don't have to give a sermon. I was in a store here some years ago and I went into the produce section to pick up some produce. I needed some bananas and there was a little banana tree type thing with all these bunches of bananas on it. And there was a lady probably in her mid-60s and she's wheeling it around, she'd pick up a bunch of bananas, she'd look them over and she'd put it back. She'd pick up another bunch and she'd look at them up very carefully and put them back. And I'm waiting, I don't wanna just jump in front of her and grab some bananas, I'm waiting patiently, which is difficult for me. Uh, born in a military hospital, daddy, 25 years army, I was in the army in law enforcement. But by God's grace, I'm waiting patiently Finally, I say to her, decisions, decisions. She says, oh, I hate decisions. I said, ma'am, I do too. That's why I turned mine over to Jesus Christ. What did you say? I said, I hate decisions too. That's why I turned mine over to Jesus Christ. Tell me more. I said, you know, I prayed this morning that the Lord would lead me to someone who wanted to know more about Jesus today. And I believe you're the answer to that prayer. I said, tomorrow night, we're starting an evangelistic series and I'm inviting you to come. Oh, I'll be there. I'm waiting, waiting. She doesn't show up the first night. I said, oh, Lord, did I say something wrong? Did I, did I do something that would discourage her from coming? And I'm continuing to pray. And the next night, that lady was there. And the next night, that lady was there. And the next night, that lady was there. At the end of those meetings, this Baptist lady was baptized into God's in of church. Didn't have to preach her a sermon. The Bible tells us that he will, the Holy Spirit will give us the tongue of the learned. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. All we got to do is ask, and God will give you opportunity. But don't go into battle without ammunition. Make sure you got some literature with you, because he'll answer your prayer. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you again for the privilege of being Seventh-day Adventist Christians. You've called us out of darkness, this marvelous light. Oh, what a privilege we have to live in a time when the apostles of old dreamt to be living at the very time we're living. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to share the everlasting gospel with others that they can be prepared to meet you in peace. Help us to hasten the coming of the Lord because in all the signs, Jesus paused in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall go into all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. Oh, how we're longing for that day. May we all participate. May our crowns, heavenly crowns, be filled with stars representing the precious souls that you lead us to we share truth with. Dismiss us now with thy blessings. May, again, may we always be faithful, no matter what the cost. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse dot org.